You're listening to the Opportunity Zones and Private Equity Show. Listen in for news and insights on how Opportunity Zones, private equity funds, and private real estate can help you grow your wealth. Now, here's your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones and Private Equity Show. I'm Jimmy Atkinson. Opportunity Zone investing is simple until it's not. The overall concept of the tax incentive program is relatively straightforward and simple to understand, but the devil is in the details, as I like to say. Complying with the statutory and regulatory requirements can be overwhelming for many fund managers, real estate operators, and investors. Joining me today is Landon Johnson, Chief Marketing Officer at CapZone Analytics. Landon, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. How are you doing? It is, is my pleasure, Jimmy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Great to see you again, Landon. Uh, we grabbed a cup of coffee, you and me, last summer, I think it was, uh, yeah. out in Dallas when you were first starting with CapZone Analytics. And uh, a lot has transpired for you and, and your firm, CapZone, over those last um, 10 months or so, I guess it's been. Um, it was like both a, a day and a decade at the same time. I'm sure. <laughs> Well, Landon, I'm, I'm guessing that some of our audience of high net worth investors and advisors have probably some level of familiarity with CapZone Analytics already. But for those who aren't yet familiar, can you give us a brief introduction to CapZone and what your role is there? Absolutely. Absolutely. And before I do that, if I may, Jimmy, uh, just thank you for what you do here. Uh, I think we're at a point in time in the industry now uh, we're sharing information and thoughts uh, are are needed and important, uh, and yours is an important voice out here. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Uh, we 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 we. I'll I'll start by telling a story. Okay, we believe that a story is being written through the Opportunity Zone program. Right. We can go back to the early days, um, five years ago, where where the hook was drawn, uh, and the regulations were passed. Uh, and they were passed in a way that was both mysterious and wide open uh, and alluring and 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 mysterious. Uh, and that kind of gave birth to this industry and, and and the beginning stages, the beginning chapters, if you will, of the story. Now, certainly no one could have predicted an epidemic, uh, a worldwide uh, uh, epidemic, pandemic. No one could have predicted a real estate in an economic downturn. So like any story, Good story. There were plot twists along the way, but here we are five five years later, um, and and we're still in the middle of our story. Uh, the founders of Capstone Analytics, and, I, and I'll get to kind of my involvement here, but the founders of Capstone Analytics saw the early crafting of that story, uh, and I suppose in a a, a pick your own adventure type of way, um, they they really saw the promise of the program being. Uh, you know, a great opportunity for investors to take advantage of a program by the IRS to uh, avoid paying taxes and drawing that capital into areas of distress, the Opportunity Zone program. Um, again, in a pick your own adventure type of way, if we think of it towards the end of the story, and we can, we can, we can kind of picture this triumphant parade of all the great stories that will be told and, and, and in some ways are being told right now in these distressed areas of how the capital is flowing uh, to these areas and the program is humming on all cylinders. Um, that was really started as the, as the genesis of the, of the vision for uh, the company founders. 
I was approached in uh, late 2021, early 2022 by uh, our CEO, Jonathan Ewart, um, and he had been attempting to explain the Opportunity Zone program since 2017 to me, um, to more or less of success. Uh, but this time, he was really intent upon it. He said, Landon, I need you to understand the program because I would like your help in building out the team and building out the product. And that was right before, this maybe six weeks before our coffee in Dallas uh, in early 2022. Uh, he was successful in helping me understand the program and the vision for the, the real need, the, the, the gap that existed with respect to risk management and compliance in the space. Uh, so, so hopefully that does a decent job of explaining both kind of why we're doing what we're doing um, and my involvement in the space. So 14 months ago, we started the process of building our risk management and compliance platform. Uh, and then I guess the quick update includes uh, at the end of 2022 and fourth quarter, well, we released or we went into a beta mode where we onboarded a handful of clients' data to beta test the system. Uh, it was a successful beta, so we launched uh, officially in the middle of January and are in the process now of adding clients to the platform uh, and certainly uh, going gangbusters and refining the platform. So you're a few months in now post-launch. We're recording this episode in the middle of April 2023. Um so it's been, I guess it's been about three months since you 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 did your full launch of the 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 product, uh, the compliance solution that you rolled out for the opportunity zone industry. But I'm I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit more? What is it exactly, first of all? And also I'm curious how it was designed. It's it's a it, I would imagine it was a huge technical mm -hmm. challenge to design this automated compliance product for this relatively new niche tax incentive program that is Opportunity Zones. Can you walk us through that process and who was involved? Yeah, uh, I'm glad you said pro you left off the process because it really was a process. I'm going to uh, hold off on the technical response in a moment and, and I'll talk about how we kind of created, I'll say the requirements for the product. Uh, you know, our space, our space, the Opportunity Zone space is a unique one in that um, there are a number of players, thousands of players, maybe tens of thousands of funds out there and fund managers and individual investors. And there's an army of accountants who have built up expertise in the space and attorneys who have built up expertise in the space. And at times it feels like these, these, these expertises and these experiences are really distributed and don't come together in a kind of a communal way. So we, sensing that, uh, we went on a, just a really intense roadshow in the end of 20, 2021 and 2022 and literally sat with some of the best minds in the space, some of the attorneys who get the thorniest problems sent their way and, and who are responsible for setting up some of the most sophisticated uh, funds out there. Some of the accountants who uh, in, in, the, uh, in the reporting aspect of fund management, you know, see those challenges come across and, and get a lot of, frankly, get a lot of at-bats at working with uh, Opportunity Zone funds. We sat with them and started asking really basic questions like, when you get a new client, what type of information do you capture, do you collect in order to get a sense of their operation? Uh, it started with really basic questions like that. And then over time and over many sittings, we got down to what are some of the more common problems that you see, the, some of the more common um, traps, if you will. Uh, you just had a wonderful uh, section 
uh, with the plant Moran team on the traps of the OZ program. Things like that came up. And so that helped us to really start getting our arms around. If we were to start building a product that helped our clients to track and manage the vast amount of data required to ensure that they're compliant, how should we start? And so we use that inspiration from some of the best minds in the industry to just start. And, and frankly, that's where we are. We're just starting the process. I'm happy to explain a little bit more about where we are and what's coming. Uh, but that's really where we started the requirements gathering and the kind of the product visioning aspect of it. Yeah, you From say, technical, go ahead. I was going to say, you, you, you say you're, you're just starting still, you already have put in, according to your website, you put in, I think, tens of thousands of hours of R&D into this yeah. product. And you've talked with some of the most brilliant and expertise accountants and attorneys around the country that have become experts in the Opportunity Zone program. So what's what's next now for the product? Well, it turns out, Jimmy, this will not surprise you. Our, our space is complex, <laughs> <laughs> right? That will surprise nobody at all. The, the product, I can really simply describe the product from a technical architecture standpoint. We have a data collection layer which is designed to capture data from, you, you can think of a, a fund and, and our target market is really existing funds. Um, the more uh, complex, the better. So multiple investors into a fund multiple projects, that's really where we're designing our product to, because we know that once we nail that, we can handle the simpler cases of, of, of OZ funds. Now, we have a data collection layer designed to capture that information at the investor, at the fund and the business level. And then we have an analytics layer, which we are programming to basically codify the Opportunity Zone IRS tax code. Uh, we estimate there is at least 200, maybe many more discrete rules within the Opportunity Zone code. And we have a running start on the rules that we programmed into the analytics layer to take client data, run the rules. Uh, and then the third layer, take those rules and prepare the output. So very simply, data analytics output. The output for now is largely reports. So the platform that we're building is tech enabled. Our analysts are the ones with fingers on the keyboard. And then interfa interface with our clients and our users really is in the form of reports. We're, we're lo looking ahead. We're also envisioning supporting dashboards and feeds into their fund administration or accounting systems. Um, but for now, they're basically reports, if that makes sense. It does. So you mentioned you've codified over 200 rules so far with Opportunity Zones. Can you give us an example or a couple of examples of what are, what are some of the rules that, that, that you mentioned there? But if I actually said that we have codified them, then then we'll, I'll correct the record. Uh, we estimate that there are 200 plus rules. Um, we've started the codification of those, again, with the most uh, important rules we believe in mind. And I, I'm happy to give you uh, many examples. We could we could run out the clock on these. But for Just instance, one or two, yeah, yeah. For, for, for instance, so so we're doing we're basically doing our own version of. Of, of thin slicing, asking questions that will help to understand if more attention is required in a particular area. I think, again, to reference back, I think it was on the Plant Moran, your Plant Moran's episode, where they talked about the bank account. That is literally one of our rules for a QOZB. Does the QOZB have its own bank account? As an example. Now, the IRS code doesn't require that it has its own bank account. This is an example of a little bit of, of a peripheral approach to it. 
what we learned from our fact finding and, and, and researching is if it doesn't have its own bank account, then so many of the downstream requirements will literally be unable to be ascertained. You won't be able to tell if they're, if the money moved into the account in a timely fashion or account for how it is being used uh, from a working capital standpoint. So the, so the statute, neither the statute nor the regulations explicitly require that a QOZB have a bank account but it's impossible to really operate a QOZB without one yeah. in, in, in terms of actually tracking how the money flows and whether or not the fund is then in compliance with, with, the, with the regulatory and, and statutory requirements. Is that right? That, exactly. You got uh, it. You nailed it. Uh, another example might be something like original use. Um, original use is its own you know, uh, a set of of questions and contemplations about is this original use and and uh, does therefore does uh, substantial improvement have to take place in a in a property that's being owned? We probably have a set of eight questions surrounding substantial improvement and and original use that allow us to dive into that part of a QOZB for our clients and return basically return a red, yellow, green with the uh, with with the source requirements and regulations that indicate what the regulations uh, state as far as uh, substantial improvement um, and what we call analyst comments, which really capture the actual um, unique essence of a particular client's setup. And as you know, every single client will set their, uh, uh, their opportunity zone fund up and their QOZB up separately there'll be their own fingerprint on it so basically rule by rule we'll be able to capture data from our clients run run our rules through the analytics engine and and output reports on is this something that uh, seems like it's it's uh, following uh, following the regulations or does it require more attention and that require more attention is probably worth a, a deeper discussion but that's hopefully you're getting a picture of the platform that we built yeah, I think I, I think I've got a pretty good picture of it. So, uh, what would you say is the main problem that you're attempting to solve for mm -hmm. most of your clients? And I and I get the sense that your clients are mostly qualified opportunity funds. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of our clients would be would have. I mean, we would onboard an existing qualified opportunity fund onto our platform. So, by definition. Yeah, a qualified opportunity fund is the starting point. So our, our actual client might be the CEO of that fund or um, the fund, you know, the, the chief compliance officer of the fund or, or CFO of the fund. Um, as far as the main problem that we're solving, uh, I, I don't necessarily think of it as a, a problem that we're solving as much as the arena that we are operating in, because this is a really, really interesting arena. It's, it's basically an intersection, a collision almost of a number of different spaces where you have um, the our sophisticated attorneys that have developed an expertise uh, in opportunity zone programs that are setting that are working hard to set up the opportunity zone fund and the integration to the QOZB in just the right way. So then you've had a number of them on your show. Uh, they're, they're, they've developed an expertise. They have an, a keen understanding of the program. They'll set up the program in the right way. And largely then they'll step away as the fund starts to operate, brings in money and invest in projects. You've got your accountants similarly who have developed expertise and there's, you've had them on the program uh, and, and they are, 
popping in at self-certification times, the end of your tax returns, and expert at making sure that boxes are checked, timelines are being kept, and, and reporting is being made. Um, nobody's really sitting in that space between the legal documentation and the accounting documentation. Add to that the complexity of the fact that we've got, I mean, this is a real estate intensive industry. So we've got you know, real estate projects operating on developers' timelines in the spirit of the developer, which is getting the project done as quickly as they can, very achievement oriented. Not necessarily concerned so much about, or at all maybe in some cases, about OZ compliance or information dissemination. And what we've seen uh, as we, you know, through our work with, with our clients is there's major gaps in here where nobody's really sitting. Who is looking at both the accounting information and the legal information and the project information? And where that really comes into play is certainly at self-certification times and end of the reporting or when a particular issue pops up in the actual structure of the OZ program. Um, it turns into a fire drill and uh, we would love to think, I mean, if there's one problem that we'd love to solve for our clients is to uh, help them avoid costly and, and, and anxiety inducing fire drills. So you just identified a whole host of problems that your product actually helps to solve. Okay. You said it wasn't a problem, but there are some problems there. Yeah. I mean, the main problem I think that you identified was there's gaps. There's a gap between when the uh, attorney first sets up the fund and when the accountant comes in to do your, your tax prep or end of year uh, tax returns, there's a gap in, in between that time. And every year, really, there's this gap oftentimes where the chief compliance officer, or the CEO may, may need some assistance with staying on top of all of the different compliance requirements, timing issues, uh, cash flow issues, you know, how the capital flows that your product helps with. Your product helps address that gap. It's it fills that void, I guess. Um, yes. So it, your your clients are primarily the qualified opportunity fund, or exclusively the qualified opportunity fund is where you start with. You mentioned oftentimes it could be a CEO or a chief compliance officer that's interfacing with you and your team and and, and the product. Uh, there's other stakeholders that are involved that do they do they necessarily interact with your product? Do LP investors in the fund get reporting from your product? Do the underlying qualified opportunity zone businesses, I guess there aren't a lot of operating businesses, but maybe that's a real estate operator or developer. Do they interact with your fund as well? Um, we are so first of all, we are seeing more operating businesses, which we're very excited about. We believe it to be one of the you know shining promises of the program. Capzone Analytics is ourselves an operating zone business uh, located in a zone. Um, and if I may just run off on a tangent, one of the Please things do. that we're one of the things that we are doing in addition to our product is we really want to create the template for the operating business operating within the operating zone program. So, so every single thing we're doing, this is really kind of a neat feature and a fun part of working at Capstone Analytics. Every single thing we do, we're doing, we're trying to create a template to offer to the rest of the industry as more operating zone businesses are being built up. And I'll just give you one example. We, 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 you know, probably four or five months ago at this point in time, created our uh, upgraded our accounting system and redid our chart of accounts. Uh, and we literally, for every single one of our expenses, have in zone or out of zone, just as a mm -hmm. one little 
the first we believe uh, of any chart of accounts to have in zone and out of the uh, out of zone but this is this is the mindset that we are bringing to the oper uh, operating zone business as an operating zone oz company ourselves operating business uh, oz company ourselves but you just you, you might just open a can of worms because here's another gap that we really uh, we get excited about operating in. Um, do other stakeholders come into play outside of the qualified opportunity fund? Um, the answer is yes, and it's kind of a big deal. Uh, we see the space because uh, we put on our compliance and risk management lenses. We see the space as almost a liability heat map. Okay, um, on on one level, certainly the qualified opportunity fund is a central source for money coming in and money coming out, and there's there's you know the opportunity zone program is built around making sure that that mechanism works. But if you think of a, of, the, of the liability heat map, uh, it is that fund manager that has signed the original eighty nine ninety six that basically puts them on the hook for. The information that they've captured is sufficient, substantial to do their self-certification and operate effectively within the program. They're signing that uh, upon fund formation. So that right there puts them on the hook to make sure that they have the necessary information to ensure they're in line with the program. That's one liability. Um, and, and, and certainly being our primary contact, uh, we, we're working with them to ensure that they have the right information. But that's not where the liability ends, right? There's all the investors uh, into the fund or uh, into the qualified opportunity zone business. The investors are on the hook too, because at the end of the day, their tax return, their initial capital gains investment or or other investment into the program, that's the thing that's going to get inspected um, as the IRS continues to pay more attention to this program as, as they should, to the opportunities on program as they should. Um, we, because we geek out on this, we follow the TIGTA reports that, what does TIGTA stand for? Treasury Inspector, Inspector General Treasury Tax Report, the yep. TIGTA reports. And you can just see their numbers ticking up as far as the funds that they're inspecting. The most recent number was 140 funds at the end of last year and 5,000 individual investors. They're kind of tucked in there on page 60 of these TIGDA reports, but the IRS is starting to look at more of these. And ultimately at the end of the day, it's the investors that will be holding uh, a liability too. And at, 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 at risk is their initial investment as well as their entire tax return. Right? It's going to get, it would get messy if, if that ended up Kind of taking off. So we see it as a liability heat map and we're trying our best through the fund because that's where all this information is flowing to uh, investigate, monitor, manage, and ultimately report on uh, these things so that we can push resources to where they're best able to be used to manage this risk. So the, the, you, you identified this liability heat map. It kind of centers around both the fund manager, but then also that LP investor I guess yeah. the fund manager is for filling out IRS form 8996 and then the LP investor who's filling out form 8997 if I if I may borrow your expression geek out a little bit uh what are some of the 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 some other risks that are involved for each of those two parties uh, like have you seen or if you have any examples of some landmines that you've seen people step on and and how do you help your clients prioritize those different risks and what they should be watching out for. Yeah. One risk that popped right into mind, uh, and it's a systemic risk, but it's visibility. 
So if the if the liability is held at the QOF level, the fund manager and the investor level, uh, a vast majority of the activity that needs to be tracked and managed is at the QOZB level. Now, we, we kind of already talked about, uh, we didn't talk in detail, but we mentioned, insinuated that the QOZBs are, there's a varying degree of, of motivation for the QOZB to provide any of this information. I'll just put it that way, right? And we've seen it ranging from uh, highly motivated because there's a tight integration, which is great, to um, we actually don't talk to our QOZB. They're not talking to us right now and everywhere in between. But the reality is, is that if you're genuinely and 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 with data going to be um, self-certifying on the 70-30 and the 50-50 rule and the 90-10, then you need information from the QOZB level. And it's it's dependent upon what stage you're in. In construction, not so much going on, operating much more so. If you're talking about operating business, you're talking about monthly payroll information that has to be captured. So to answer your question about the risk, there's a visibility risk. The liability is at the QOF level and the LP level. Visibility into operation, operation, operational data at the QOZB level, that's a big gap, a big um, visibility issue, and frankly, a risk that, I mean, the obvious answer is that we're stepping into to try to bridge. So that's one systemic risk that pop right in mind when you're thinking of, of risk. I mean, there's, there's, you get into the details of each and every one of the rules, and you know, the IRS has done such a, a really inspired job to craft these rules in a way that is both at the same time you can operate within them. And also uh, some of us can't wait for deeper interpretations of them or tests of them so that we know how we actually supposed to do this. Uh, there's you know, each one of these 200 rules probably we could do it's our own, our own webcast on. Um, that would, uh, that would fill up almost an entire calendar year. If we wanted to do one a day, I guess. <laughs> take either, either make your viewership go like this or like this. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. No, but it is it is quite a challenge. There are a lot of different risks out there. Thanks for identifying a, a, a couple of them uh, right now for us as some examples there. What as you so as we talk about your automated compliance solution and how it helps to manage these different types of risks and incorporate these different rules, these compliance rules. Where do you see your clients? using your product the most? Is it, I mean, can your product be used um, at the very start of a qualified opportunity zone project or fund? Can it help identify the site, uh, site selection? Can it help with launching or fundraising? Uh, is this the type of reporting that you provide that, that can help be marketing essentially for the fundraising portion of, of the fund's operation? Or is it is it more meant to just be after the fact, uh, back-end reporting after capital has flowed into the fund? There's like five different ways I want to take this, Jim. Take, it, let me, take let, it in all five of the ways. Okay, okay. Let, let, let me start. I'll, really I'll, start I'll, I'll start right up the middle. Sure. Um, and, and this basically shout out to, to our clients out there who have so graciously invited us into their main challenges and allowed us to, to learn from them because it, it, we're still and probably will forever uh, be led by our clients as far as what they need and, and how they need it. For right now, the initial challenge uh, sure seems to be that visibility component that I was telling you about. Um, if we're to evaluate 
how my portfolio setup is set up and how my businesses are being run. Can you help provide me visibility into my adherence to the rules? Okay, so first and foremost, there's just a visibility challenge that we're helping uh, them solve through that initial reporting, for sure. Um, I've been sensitive from, from the very beginning about not wanting to be the team or the company that is constantly just delivering problems uh, and and shining the spotlight on areas of, of shortcoming. Um, our clients in, in, uh, mercifully helped us understand, hey, if you can take now, if you can take all of this data that you've provided and all of these red, yellow, green lights and these dashboards and help us prioritize these, that would be great. And so that helped give birth to what we now call the Opportunity Zone uh, Risk Register, which is basically, I mean, risk registers are a well-established tool used within corporations to prioritize the risk that they have. And a major corporation, it might include things like um, uh, currency rates and uh, 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 fluctuations of political winds and that type of thing. In the OZ world, uh, the prioritized risks are really what is the likelihood of this thing, of, of this risk coming to happen? And then what's the financial impact if it actually does happen? So we've we've taken the initial reporting, red, yellow, green dashboards, if you want to think about it, and started creating the Opportunity Zone Risk Register, which is a prioritized, hopefully manageable set of risks that have been identified and then obviously that would extend into the mitigation actions, right? The work plan, who owns the thing, how's it going to be addressed, uh, and how do we know that we're successful? And this all gets to really this, you know, the IRS, again, has built in this spirit of the law into the OZ program that allows us as operators to basically, we're doing our best right now. The ability to show that we're doing our best, to show a program of we we have we're programmatically identifying issues, tackling them, uh, fixing them, and we have a body of evidence that to show over the past months and years uh, to prove it. Uh, we believe that the Opportunity Zone program is set up so that that would be looked upon favorably by anybody. Uh, any regulators knocking on the door. So that's one that I, I'd call that kind of right up the middle uh, as far as a use case um, for this. Now, your point about the front end of the business, raising money um, and and I'll even say distinguishing oneself in the marketplace. It's a competitive marketplace, uh, especially those that are trying to raise significant capital. Um, we believe, and it's just a belief right now, it has not just because of lack of, of time and at-bats, um, it has yet to be proved out, but we're operating under the assumption that uh, if there is competition for investment dollars, that those investment dollars, uh, all things being equal, are going to gravitate towards a fund that is operating in a transparent manner, uh, fully aligned with the code, uh, and has reports like the ones we're talking about available, and uh, and and they're pursuing this program of continuous improvement and risk mitigation. Uh, again, still remains to be seen, but uh, in other industries, in the financial world uh, and peripheral industries, this has certainly been the case. Uh, some of our more savvy clients are are basically banking on this uh, in the competitive marketplace. You're hoping you, you provide these reports, you provide some form of almost third-party validation that, hey, this this fund is using our product to 
improve their likelihood that they're going to be in compliance with the program. That's a pretty good mark to have in their pitch deck or, or their, their investor summary, what have you, when they're going out to raise capital in this. And you're right, it is a, a competitive marketplace right now. Landon, what's the overall role? How would you characterize the role or importance of compliance and data reporting for the broader opportunity zones industry? I think you hinted at this a little bit in your previous yeah. answer. Uh, but but and also, do you think it, you know, currently the form 8996 is very limited in yeah. scope. It doesn't really collect a lot of information, but there are some in the industry, actually many, many experts in the industry believe that at some point more data collection will be required by the Treasury sure. Department. Um, do you think that'll come to fruition? And 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 then yeah, getting back to my other question, just what, what what's what's the broader importance of of even collecting all this data um, mm -hmm. on an industry on an industry wide basis? Okay, so uh, you, you kind of couched in there was the suggestion of regulatory changes, part of which includes increased reporting requirements. Um, we certainly look at that. We we're watching it closely. I have no information that anybody else doesn't have. So, so I, I, my crystal ball is still murky about whether it happens or whether it doesn't happen. Certainly, if it happens, it would be a very quick transition to more reporting is required. And and I think the you know the sophisticated funds out there have already started to look into how do how do we make that happen. Uh, we would love to certainly be a solution towards that. Um, another dynamic that's important to keep in mind is uh, the ability to roll up funds, this funds of funds consideration. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we're in the, the space is at such an interesting size. Um, the size is not big enough yet to draw in, and, and hopefully they're not listening to this podcast to draw in the 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 eight hundred pound gorillas in the compliance space that would be pointing their cannon to a solution in this space, but it's certainly big enough for the need to have it happen uh, because it's big enough now to to warrant the interest of the IRS and people are asking questions about the program. So there will be more oversight regula regulations aside. Uh, the ability to have elegant responses and established responses, we have our data, we've been tracking and managing it, we've been fixing our problems um, is of value. But back to the fund to fund sides, there, there is, in order to get take this from, I mean, I believe that you know, we don't have perfect visibility into this, but I believe that this year we'll pass $200 billion of investment is what we believe somewhere in there. Um, it gets to be real money when institutional financing comes off the sidelines and they're not going to be doing their investing until they're sure of what the rules are, who's playing by them. Uh, and until that happens, until that stamp of approval is kind of what you're getting at, the stamp of approval happens. Um, that will be required when the institutional money comes off of the sidelines. So we've got this confluence of dynamics. It's, it, I mean, it is so fun to be playing in the industry at this point in time, even with the mystery of regulations, what are they going to look like? Even if that happen, if that happens, it becomes clear. If it doesn't happen, this, the, the space still has to mature to the point where collecting data will lead to increased confidence in the space, will lead to, uh, more investment in the space. One more point about data, because this is, I mean, I, I don't think you'll find this on our website, but it is something we very much have a mind towards starting with a means 
to go on is that we believe as part of that story that I talked about in the beginning, we believe part of the story is truly changing the communities that are being invested in, truly changing it in a measurable way. And so as part of every onboarding we do, we are we, we, we capture and it capture the baseline metrics of um, poverty level, uh, uh, income level. We've got 17 metrics that we're capturing for every onboard that we do in that particular census tract, in that particular area, with a mind towards tracking that and, and tracking the changes over time. How, how, how awesome would it be if we, and this might take some time, in a year or two or three from now, we were able to help contribute to the story of opportunity zones, about how in a particular geography or, or in a group of geographies, here's how much the opportunity zone program, how much of an impact the opportunity zone program had on some of these really important societal metrics, almost in a way that delivers the promise of, of the program. So we're, we are capturing and tracking data straight up the middle to ensure our clients uh, can confidently uh, do, do business. Um, we also have some ulterior motives to, to help the Opportunity Zone program uh, get wings and be successful. Oh, I think that's great. Uh, you mentioned a couple things in your last response there that I picked up on and wanted to ask you about. Um, this is kind of a maybe a geeky, overly geeky technical question, uh, okay. but I'm wondering if you have an answer to it. So you mentioned that you're kind of starting to track or, or your goal is to track changes to these communities over time. Uh, if I picked up on that answer yeah. of yours correctly. It, the, the technical challenge there, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is the opportunity zones, the designations were made according to the 2010 census map, and the map has changed as of 2020. The geographic boundaries no longer correspond exactly one-to-one -one with the 2010 map. Is that a challenge that that yes. you're facing and and what's the how do you how do you solve that we're, challenge of being able to track to, these neighborhoods when, they, to, well, when the boundaries physically change yeah we have to call peter saganic back in to help with that question for and fortunately so. there are people there, there there are geolocation experts and solution and incredible solutions out there uh that that, that is a phase b solution right now we're a compliance platform and we've got to nail that well yeah. um, and, and really to fill in that 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 confidence uh, gap that we see in the industry. We see an information gap too surrounding location, everything. Where is the money coming in? Where is the need? Where are projects shovel ready? Uh, wouldn't it be great if there were a database that could not just provide all of that information and kind of reduce friction, incre increase fluidity in the industry, but also do all the, the, the mapping and overlays of the different census data and things that track uh, data by area code versus census track. There's some real technical challenges in there. And I'm basically going to uh, punt on the technical solution to it because there's smarter people than I digging into this right now, but there's a need for it. And it's not just the opportunity zone program, fortunately. So, so I have heard that there are smart people and highly capable organizations that are working on it. And I am their biggest cheerleader. Uh, to solve this because we want to quickly get to a space where we're also providing the necessary overlays for the industry so that site location, project location, uh, uh, mission location even is, is a potential search capability out there. But yeah, you just hit a nerve of the industry right now. 
<laughs> why, why did they have to change is, things on us? It is it is tricky to be able to track it. But yeah, they they change the map and the census tract boundaries actually change. Not a lot, but they change enough to matter a little bit on the edges, at least uh, every 10 years. Um, you also mentioned in your previous response, Landon, um, that your firm is anticipating that the industry will exceed $200 billion uh, raised by the end of this year. That's a big number. I, I, I've estimated that $100 billion has been raised, $100 billion of equity has been raised. Uh, you know, at some point last year, I think we crossed that threshold, certainly going into this year. Where, where do you have us? And by the way, nobody really knows the exact answer of yeah. exactly how much equity has been raised by this program to date. Um, and if you want to, I suppose, if you want to add the debt component as well to the, to the overall amount of capital that's flowed into the program, um, maybe that gets you to that 200 billion, but can you, can you, uh, qualify that number a little bit? What, what do you currently have the industry at roughly? And I know it's a ballpark figure, but it's probably a, uh, educated estimate at least. If it was one of those tests where I had four numbers to pick from and, uh, $180 billion were on it, I'd pick 180 billion. Okay. Um, and honestly, I, again, I have no more information than, than anybody else. Uh, and there's, you know, there's great reports coming out from Novogratic all the time about where that money is and how many investors, you know, they have a, a spectacular view as, as good as anybody's, I think, short of the IRS into uh, the space. Wouldn't it be great if we, we, if we had more visibility into that? Uh, and I, I think if there's a surprise to be had, my, nothing more than my gut, but my gut tells me we would be surprised on the high side as opposed to the low side about uh, what the actual factually accurate number is. Um, we're anchoring it with what we know right now, which is a natural bias and uh, collecting information and then kind of working from there. Uh, I believe that there's so much that we don't know that would drag that number up. Uh, and as I said, the best I can do is if there was a surprise, I'm going on the higher side, uh, my, my gut tells me, but more visibility. If there's any IRS people involved out there that are listening, more visibility would be great. <laughs> yeah. I think they, I think they try to uh, get the data out to us um, as as early and often as they can, but it does seem to lag by a couple of years, two three years in some yeah. cases. The uh, yeah, I, I well, I certainly I think we're somewhere between that hundred billion and two hundred billion dollar mark. I hope you're right. I hope That's we fair. do hit two hundred billion at some point this year. I think that'd be great. Certainly, the program has. Uh, I think it's exceeded expectations in terms of the amount of capital that has already flowed into the program. Uh, well, I, I told you we might save this question if if we've got a little bit of time toward the end. I think we've got we've got a few minutes left. Um, your solution is an automated tech solution. So artificial intelligence has been in the news a lot lately here in yeah. the first part of uh, 2023. What about AI for? Opportunity zone compliance. Do you see AI helping with that at some point in the future? What, or what's your overall thought on that technology and how we can leverage it? I, I, I don't think you can have a technology today without having this question being asked of you. What, what role does AI play? Uh, for the record, we do not have AI in our product just now. We spend a lot of time and, and have a lot of fun um, talking about what role AI could play, uh, and and maybe we've started creating a list of, of of requirements that may fit into the roadmap at some point in time. But the reality of the OZ space and the reality of the challenge that we're 
and the and sticky part of the problem that we're diving into is there's a lot of data, a lot of data. There's operational data at the OZB level on a monthly basis. There's fund data. There's investment flow data. Uh, there's a lot of data from a lot of different sources, and we're asking a lot of questions of it. So even just you know across a program that has a hundred to two hundred billion dollars uh, and tens of thousands of players and Lord knows how many projects, this is just the def just by describing it that way, it's set up for an AI application. Can't could could you imagine using artificial intelligence to prompt questions about? Um, what questions should we should be asking about this particular QLZB? It's set up, it has this profile. It's a uh, multifamily dwelling unit in uh, in uh, construction. What questions should we be in this particular location with these state laws in place, pointing back to the tax code, what data needs to be captured from this particular QLZB this month? It feels like a prompt that I would love to ask my chat GPT uh, uh, prompt screen. Um, and I, and it doesn't feel like it's far away. When we get the data ready, the ability to train on that data could be really interesting. And there's all kinds of barriers being put in the way as in addition to confidentiality and training on data and intellectual property that make it something that we've got to hold off just a little bit. Um, but it feels like all the pieces are in place to have it be a really interesting application uh, for AI. Sometimes. Maybe I'll maybe I'll ask you more about that the next time we talk, Landon. Okay. Uh, well, we're we're running low on time now, but uh, I did want to mention. Yeah, you know, I was perusing your website, the Capzone website, um, in preparation for this interview, and it says on your profile that you know a few dad jokes. We love our dad jokes over here at, at Opportunity Ooh. TV and Wealth Channel. Andy and I are always trying to one up each other. Do you got a good one for me? Uh, I I am known. For any birthday card that I write to a niece or a nephew or, or a brother or sister, I'm known for including a dad joke. So they're, there's, they're often pretty recent. Okay, the most recent one I put in a card. Um, how much room does fungus need to grow? You tell me. As mushroom as it takes. <laughs> See, that's good. I, I, that. I love works. that one. I love that one. Yeah. Um, do you want to hear my joke about paper? Sure. It's terrible. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got for today. And That's you don't even bad. know how funny that is because I literally am known, I'm infamous for not doing paper. I, 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 I don't have paper on my desk. I don't print anything out. So that's even that much funnier, Jimmy. <laughs> there you go. Well, you can use that if you want to. Hey, Landon, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your insights with me and my audience of high net worth investors and advisors today on the podcast. Before we go, where can our audience go to learn more about you and CapZone Analytics? We are at CapZoneAnalytics.com uh, and our LinkedIn page uh, is, is pretty active at CapZone Analytics. Fantastic. I'll be sure to link to uh, your website and your LinkedIn page on the show notes for today's episode, which will be available as always at OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. Uh, and please be sure to also subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast listening platform to always get the latest episodes from us. Landon, thanks so much again for joining me today. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode. <laughs>